0: Come on a journey with a cinephile. to episode number 13 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. As always, your tour guide, David Garrett Jr. here. And for this week, I have two movies that were directed by women in appreciation of this being uh, Women's History Month. And it actually kind of turned out in favor of me that... Both films were directed by women, as the one that I had selected from the list of movies I hadn't seen yet was The Voices. And then after I was looking at the release schedule for this week, I went and saw The Turning, and that is also directed by a woman. So I lucked out here with that double feature for that. And I also have three mini-reviews for you on this episode. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is I have a new segment that I wanted to try out here. Since January is over and this is the first episode for February, I want to go ahead and kind of do a monthly review of not really going too in-depth at anything, just kind of giving you all the horror movies that I watched for this month. Monthly review. Okay. And for January, I watched five 2020 horror films which those were The Grudge, Underwater, The Marshes, Color Out of Space, and The Turning. And all of those but The Marshes were a featured review on previous podcasts for this year. I watched 36 total movies, with 24 of them being in the horror genre. And the other horror movies that I had watched were The Crazies, The Purge Anarchy, Anguish, A Record of Sweet Murder, Resolution, The Quatermass Experiment, insidious the first masters of horror episode i've ever seen with imprint santa sangri the purge election year the bar underwater tammy and the t-rex the sixth friend revenge of the creature godzilla king of the monsters the voices wnuf halloween special dr jekyll and sister hyde now all of these can be heard on this podcast the only one that you've won't is the quatermass experiment which if you want to hear my review on that you just have to go over to the podcast under the stairs as that was the movie club for this month and then some of those were also featured reviews as well like anguish the bar tammy and the t-rex of episodes and then everything else and then obviously the voices on for horror movies are all going to be on this episode and then just to kind of give a little bit more background information the oldest horror movie that i've watched for this month would end up falling back on to being revenge of the creature as well as the quatermass experiment both came out in 1955 so what i'm gonna go ahead and do is send you over to my first musical break before i get into the mini reviews for this episode first mini review of this week is going to be the wnuf halloween special from 2013 this is directed by chris lamartina and then there is a bunch of commercials where we have james brascom sean jones scott mccubbin lonnie martin matthew mentor and andy Shobe. Who directed those? And then overall, this was written by Chris Lamartina, as well as co written with Jimmy George, Pat Storock, Michael Joseph Moran, and then some of the commercials were by Carly Cooper, Sean Jones, Lonnie Martin, Scott McCubbin, James Brascom, Matthew Mentor, Andy Shobe. And then the story for this was Chris Lamartina, Jimmy George, and Jamie Nash. This stars Paul Farencomp, Aaron Henkin, and Nicolette LaFay. This is a comedy horror film from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.6 on IMDb and a 3.3 on Letterboxd. And the synopsis is a little bit long on IMDb, so I'm just going to cut it down to originally broadcasted live on October 31st, 1987. The WNUF Halloween special is a stunning expose of terrifying supernatural activity that unfolded at the infamous Weber House, the site of ghastly murders. Now, this was a movie that I heard about originally from Halloween episodes in the past for podcast. I finally got the chance to check this out in January which is when I'm recording this review. I was pretty excited for it and decided to give it a viewing as it came up in my rotation of films that I got from podcasts to watch. And just a little bit of background information. This is a found footage documentary where it starts off where I'm pretty sure somebody is recording over like a wedding on an old VHS tape to watch this and it is the news broadcast that precedes it, so we get different news stories as well as commercials that look like they're from the era. Before going into the Halloween special, which is going to be Frank Stewart, who is Ferencamp, as well as his producer Veronica Stance, who is Lefay And they're at the Weber house where there was a young man who murdered his family after he was playing with a witch board that told him to do it. And then along on this is going to be a live seance where we have paranormal activity experts of Dr. Lewis Berger, who is Brian St. August, as well as his wife Claire, who is Helen Mary Ball. As well as their cat shadow. As well as during this, there are people that are not happy about the celebration of Halloween in this town, as well as the seance that they're going to try to perform on this night, and they are protesting it. Now, I have to say, I absolutely love the effort that was put into this movie. I saw some people complaining about how it looks, as it would appear that they didn't realize that this is taking on the realism of somebody taping this off of a television show back in 1987. The VHS makes it look rough and bringing that realism. On top of that, though, they have a bunch of commercials that look like they're from the Time period, and it really gave me nostalgia as I remember tapes that my father recorded for my sister and I that we would watch religiously that look and felt just like this. I think bringing this feel is strong, so I give credit to the cinematography here for sure, especially with the effects of filming this and then recording it onto a VHS to give it that rougher look as well. Now, as I've said, this movie definitely falls into that found footage mockumentary style. We are seeing the footage of Frank along with Father Joseph Matheson, who is Robert Long II, Dr. Lewis and Claire as they go about making this Halloween special. What I like, though, is that they don't do anything to make it over the top, as for the most part, nothing gets caught on camera. And it is real in the sense that you can try to go in and film something like this, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're actually going to catch it. So it also makes it not as exciting. And that will be where my first real issue comes from, is that this is somewhat boring. They do too much at the beginning of establishing that we are in this era and having the news stories, as many of them don't go anywhere. I will give credit, though. There are some mixed in here that have relevance to something that happens later on in the movie and ultimately you know where this ends up i didn't expect it but i like how they kept it grounded for sure the ending was interesting but it just isn't as exciting and the sense of realism i think sacrifices some of the enjoyment for me they also go back to some of the same commercials a few too many times but that goes back to the realism and you know keeping that there and I also like that at times we get to see somebody as a fast forward through stuff, which was a kind of, you know, thank you movie for me, as well as, you know, kind of just making it funny. And I will give credit, though, to the acting. Farron Comp feels amateur and someone I could expect to see on TV as a reporter back in the 80s. I think he brings enough of being a jerk to the role that it made me actually laugh out loud. He's quite dry in his humor, and I think that is what helps as well. Aaron Hankin is good as the announcer voice for WNUF. Faye is fine in her role, along with the two news anchors, who are Deborah Merritt, who is Leanna Chamish, and Gavin Gordon, who is Richard Cutting. I like that St. August and Ball feel like they're parodies of Ed and Lorraine Warren, which is good. The rest of the cast of that rounded this out, and much like I said for comp they don't feel like actors, and that almost brings more realism for me, and so I end up enjoying that quite a bit. Now, I've already went over the cinematography and the effects of how this looks. We do get some other effects later on the movie that were fine. We don't get a lot of time lingering on them as this is found footage, which I think actually helps. Also with how deteriorated the tape is, I think that plays well as we can't critique too much of how you know they look. And that really helps if you don't have a big budget for effects. And they didn't go over the top with any of it either, so that is also a good move by this film. Now, that said, I really love that the effort they put into making this feel like a news broadcast and television special from the 80s. It's even more fun as it's from 87 as that's the year that I was born. This plays on my nostalgia as well as being I remember growing up with recorded VHS tapes like this. I thought the acting helps to bring the realism as well as how this was filmed and how it was treated to make it look old. I do think that this realism does sacrifice some of the enjoyment as it is slow it takes a bit to get into what they're doing and not a lot actually happens i did like where it ended up and if you pay attention it all makes sense the soundtrack also fit for what was needed but it didn't necessarily stand out to me with that said i would say this is above average overall and probably won't give this a rewatch for some time as it'll probably hurt the mystique and the gimmick of this at least for me it would so my rating here is going to be a seven out of ten Okay, and for my second review for this week is Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. This is directed by Roy Ward Baker. It is from a screenplay by Brian Clemens and from the short story from Robert Louis Stevenson. This stars Ralph Bates, Martine Beswick, and Gerald Sim. This is a horror sci-fi film from the United Kingdom. This is currently sitting on a 6.6 on IMDb and a 3.3 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a Victorian scientist tests a serum that transforms him into a sensuous murderess. Now, I'll admit, I didn't even realize this film existed until I started to seek out all the versions of Robert Louis Stevenson's The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. At this point, I know I've seen more of the earlier ones and finally got around to seeing this one, not realizing this was actually a horror hammer film. Uh, The name gives it away a bit, but I was still intrigued to check this out. And the synopsis like is, it pretty much gives an overview of this is that when Dr. Jekyll finally creates the serum and uses it, he changes over to sister Hyde who is Bestwick. Growing up, I remember when there was a similar version of this type of story that came out in the 90s that was called Dr. Jekyll and Miss Hyde. That was of course more of a comedy where this is your typical hammer horror film that is actually pretty violent i don't mean that as a slight though as i was shocked and really dug the fact that it actually combines two real stories from london's history to incorporate the first one is that they actually have burke and hare as characters now in this movie they are portrayed by burke is ivor dean and hare is tony kelvin And if you don't know who they are, they're probably the two most famous body snatchers in history. They made a living at first grave robbing for scientists to conduct research, which would lead to things like advancement in anatomy and more understanding of the human body. Which I believe Gray's Anatomy, the actual text, is kind of contributed to some of the things they did and I'm not entirely sure if they actually killed people in order to continue to make money as I've never fully looked into the story but I thought it was a good touch though that Dr. Jekyll here works alongside them and it deepens the story for those who know who they were. The other major one that this film incorporates is the story of Jack the Ripper. This movie is claiming that Dr. Jekyll was the Ripper, which actually kind of makes sense. He is a man of science. The attacks on the women from the historical perspective from the Ripper were thought to have been done by a surgeon or somebody with medical training with how precise they were. And it's explaining why some of the organs turn up missing as Dr. Jekyll needs to use them for his experiments. And this makes the story not being the most original, but I love incorporating all of this into you know, the story of Jekyll and Hyde. As for the pacing, I didn't have any major issues. It runs about 97 minutes, so it really doesn't go on too long and has a pretty normal running time. I was concerned if this was going to be like a lot of hammer films where we get the reveal right there at the end and then it wraps up almost immediately after. Now, this isn't the case though. We actually get introduced to the murderers and Hyde, I would say around the 30 minute mark, maybe a little bit after, which I thought was good. There's not a whole lot of mystery, but Professor Robertson does start to think the killer is his friend. And we're put in an interesting situation of us wanting this murderer to be caught while he's justifying what is happening for the sake of science. I did like how it ended as well. The action I thought was pretty solid. I didn't recognize Bates, but I have seen other Hammer films that he's in. I think he did well as this mad scientist. It is interesting that he changes his course of research when Professor Robertson mocks him. He does come off as weak-willed, and I think that works with how strong-willed Beswick is. And I actually recognize her as a former Bond girl. So it was pretty cool. I love the sass that she brings to this role, and we get to see her topless as well as to see her nude butt. So if you want to see that, it is here for you to see. I didn't say it earlier. I should probably now. Uh, Professor Robertson was Gerald Sim. I thought he did well here. We also have Howard Spencer, portrayed by Louis Fiander, as well as his mother is Mrs. Spencer, who is Dorothy Allison. And there's also Susan, who is his sister, as Susan Broderick. I thought they all did well, along with Dean and... Kelvin as, you know, Birkin and Hare. And there's also Biker, who is William Maddock. He is another guy who introduces actually Birkenhair to Jekyll, and I thought all of them, you know, did well in rounded out this movie for what was needed. The effects were pretty light here. I was glad to see that we have the brighter colored blood that you come to expect from the era. This movie isn't as bad as some that I've seen. They do some tricks with the camera for the transformations as well. They mostly hide that though, because they didn't really have the technology at the time to make it look good, so I'm fine with that. Something interesting that I found while watching this is that... There is a mole on the cheek of Dr. Jekyll that is also on the cheek of Sister Hyde as a nod that they're the same person. I don't know if any of the characters ever noticed it, but it was something I picked up on immediately. And I thought the cinematography was fine overall. And with that said, I ended up really digging this, but I didn't love it. I think that there's some interesting concepts here of having this villainous side of a be a woman with an interesting choice for sure. Incorporating Burke and Harris' characters as, as along with Jack the Ripper was a cool twist to this mad scientist story. I never got bored with it, and I think that it moves at a good pace to an interesting ending. Best performance for me was Beswick, and I thought Bates was solid as the other side of that coin, with the rest of the cast rounding this out for what was needed. The effects were fine, as was the cinematography, and the soundtrack was fitted for what was needed. I would have to say that this is just an above-average movie, to almost good in my opinion, and I'm coming in with a 7.5 out of 10. And for my final review of this week will be for Atlantics... Now this came out last year in 2019. This is directed and co-written by Maddie Diop, and then it's also co-written with Olivier de Mangla. It stars Mami Benetta Sain, Amadou Mabo, and Troyor. This is a technically a drama, which I'll get more into that why I'm reviewing this here, and it's a co-production between France, Senegal, and Belgium. This is currently sitting on a 6.8 on IMDB and a 3.6 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being in a popular suburb in Dakar, workers on the construction site of a futuristic tower without pay for months decide to leave the country by the ocean for a better future. Among them is Solomon, who is portrayed by Traori, and his lover is Sane as she is promised to another. Now, this was a film that I originally heard about on the Shockwaves podcast. It made their year-end list for 2019, and it intrigued me as there was a debate if this was horror or not. And then I saw that the Gateway Film Center was showing this once on Saturday, and I elected to give it a go. And just kind of give you a little bit of background information. The synopsis kind of goes through it a little bit, is that the men are all working on this construction site, but they're not being paid, and it's gone three months like that. And they were told that on the job that they would get all of their back pay as well as this fourth month. But when they go in there, the office workers are trying to placate them as the man in charge did not leave the money. And then it's just interesting because I feel bad for these office workers is they're kind of just middle management where they're probably not getting paid either, but the men end up leaving in, you know, anger. And they all just go back to their town. And that night, they're all supposed to meet up at a bar with the girls they their scene where Solomon is seeing Ada who is torn between her religious friends that she grew up with and these new friends that she have that are a little bit more loose and more worldly I would say and as I was saying Solomon and Ada are supposed to meet up at this bar that night but when all of the women show up there the men are gone and it turns out they got onto a boat to sail to Spain in order to try to make a better life but things don't end up as planned And that's where we kind of start to get some of the more horror elements, which I'm not going to lie to you. I wasn't even sure if I was going to do a review on this because I didn't think it was horror. But I will say the second half of this movie definitely kind of goes into more of that. As Supernatural start things that happen then, as this becomes a ghost story, as well as having possession in it and if there would have been just one scene of this I might not have written this still but we get quite a bit of that so I definitely feel like this is a horror adjacent and I'm reviewing it now since I you know do horror reviews I'll dive into that first it's gonna be a slight spoiler but also the crux of the movie the men don't make it and they perish at sea what ends up happening from there is they start to possess their girlfriends in order to make this rich man you know, do the right thing and actually give them the money that cheated them. And then for whatever reason though, Ada is not possessed by Solomon. He possesses someone else and is contacting her. This isn't fully explained, but it does seem that the possessed people don't really remember what happens to them the next day. And so that's where I kind of piece together that Solomon doesn't take over Ada as there's things that he needs to tell her before he can kind of pass on. Now what makes this movie great for me though is the social commentary we get. We have the rich versus the working class. These men are doing great work and the guy who hired them is taking advantage. Being that I'm an American and living in a capitalist society... I can see the good and bad here heck i've personally had to fight for myself at jobs as i've been given extra work that i'm not being compensated for i've never had to deal with it on the scale that they are here but i felt for them it would be a scary situation to deal with where you're busting your back all day because i mean they're doing manual construction labor and they're not getting compensated and then another commentary that we get here is traditional versus you know the new world Ada is promised off to be married to Omar from her parents who are Amari Falfe and Babakar Samba. And Omar is portrayed by Babakar Sala. Now, her parents as well as Omar are from the Muslim faith and Omar is wealthy. Now, she has her religious friends who call her other friends whores because they go out drinking, you know, dancing with boys and doing other things that in my culture would be considered normal. Now, They're not being told what to do and living their lives, which, you know, I give them all the respect and I think, you know, that's how it kind of should be. Ada has a taste of this, but she also knows that if she goes head on into, you know, doing this, her family will abandon her. I couldn't imagine being faced with this choice, but I do like seeing it play out as it gives me a glimpse into a world that isn't my own. Now, that's all I really have to say about the story and the commentary, so I'll take this to the pacing, which I didn't have any issues here. This does run 106 minutes. Do I think they could have trimmed 10 minutes or so? Probably, but I don't think that they should've. There were things that I was questioning at first, but as you figure out what is going on, it does make a lot of sense in the end, and I do think at after everything's all said and done that it was needed, and I'm not gonna lie. The ghost stuff starts to happen. It really did make me feel uneasy, and it looks quite creepy, to be honest. I also like how this ended, when even though it does take me a minute to figure out completely, a lot of that goes to this being foreign language, and I struggled piecing together who was who for a bit, and I think that's probably why as well, because it didn't kind of click home who was who and what they were trying to you know show us here, but I do like it once I figured everything out. The acting in this movie was quite strong. I thought that Sane was good as Ada. She's torn between her duty and living life how she wants. And it gives me shades of myself because in my younger years, where instead of making decisions, I kind of just went along with what was happening around me until I found myself unhappy, much like her character was. Seeing the change in her as it takes charge was empowering. M-bo, is interesting in his investigation especially where it ends up Treori is intriguing to me because technically he's barely in this we do get his embodiment though so i give credit to the other actor there the rest of the cast rounded this movie out for what was needed you know shout out to all the ladies that pretend to be their male counterparts while possessed because that's what really made those scenes creepy and the other thing i would say is in the effects department as there's not a lot of them but this isn't necessarily a film that needed them, as, and also they probably didn't have the largest budget. I did think that the possessed look was creepy, and that's what I was alluding to. They're given these white eyes that makes you almost look like they're blind, and it was something that I really liked. And the cinematography was also really good. I knew while I was watching that that this wasn't in Europe. And it wasn't until writing this that I discovered that this is taking place in Senegal. But they really give you an idea what life is like there through how this was shot. And I can really appreciate that since it's a place that I've never gone and don't know a whole lot about. So if you can make me understand through what you're showing me, mad props. Now with that said, I really did enjoy this film. Would I call this horror? Probably not, but I do think that it's creepy enough in the second half to warrant the review. And I would put this in the adjacent category. The story is something that is quite socially relevant now. Even though this takes place in a foreign country, the topics can be paralleled to what is going on elsewhere. The possession and ghost aspects were creepy. The effects used to show that. The acting was strong. I do think that the running time works with how it's paced. Soundtrack to this movie really didn't stand out to me, but it was used to fit for what was needed. I would say that this is a good movie overall. Recommend giving this a viewing. If what you hear sounds like something you would be interested in, Now I will warn you, this is subtitled. So if that's an issue, keep that in mind. But if you can get past, you know, reading this, I think there's a good story here and a tale that, you know, makes a lot of sense and is pretty relevant. So my rating here is going to be an eight- out of 10. Now with that said what I'm gonna do is get you over to the trailer for my first featured
1: review
2: hey Jim give
1: me a break oh, okay I'll, I'll tone it down a little bit you have the greatest hair Tom in the back how are you doing Jerry they like me at work do you want to get a drink there's a girl I like her are you good with cats? No, the real question is, are cats good with me? Because they pretty much own us. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. And sometimes they talk to my pets. <laughs> and they sometimes talk
2: to me, sometimes.
1: I get that. Yeah. You're out, your league. Shush. Yeah, shut up, cat. Do you ever hear her voices? Not really. Jerry. Hey, Fiona. In her eyes, you're a ridiculous peasant. Kill her. And you will discover what it feels like to be truly alive.
2: Don't run! <coughs> <laughs> Mr. Whiskers, he makes me do bad things. You totally stopped taking the pills, didn't you? Don't. What check canon check?
1: Look what you did to me. I'm so sorry. Jerry, you're a serial killer. No, he isn't. Shh. You seem a million miles away. I got a lot going on right now. Pretty bad situation, buddy. Me oh, out of that. She
2: makes me want to sleep. Mr. Whitgars! Dr. Warren! Fiona, cut it
1: out! Pretty complicated inside the human mind, huh? One oh, second oh. and, check, and Oh, the best night of my whole life. What a fab cracking day to come back. You're so mysterious. It's cool. Do you remember last week when you said there is an invisible line that separates good from evil and you thought you'd it and I said, no, 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 you're a good boy? Yeah, I remember. So what? I've changed my opinion.
0: Okay, and for my first featured review of this week, I am doing The Voices from 2014. This is directed by Marjane Satrapi. It is written by Michael R. Perry. It stars Ryan Reynolds, Gemma Arterton, and Anna Kendrick. This is a comedy crime horror thriller from a co-production from the United States and Germany. This is currently sitting on a 6.4 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd the synopsis being a likable guy pursues his office crush with the help of his evil talking pets but things turn sinister when she stands him up for a date now i remember when this film was being shown like the trailer for it but then it just kind of disappeared when i got into listening to horror movie podcast this one would pop up every now and then so i added my f- my list of films to check out And i finally did for this podcast here when for the month of february i'm doing two episodes that feature a a woman director now the synopsis that i read earlier was a bit misleading we're in a town called milton which is quite odd if i'm going to be honest as its introduction to us is somewhat surreal it's almost like a musical at first and the town isn't very big and it is based around this factory that does bathroom fixtures working there is jerry who is reynolds called over by his boss Dennis Kulowski, who is Paul Chadheedy. He's invited to help plan a barbecue, and through this, their conversation, we learn that Jerry has a court-appointed psychologist. Now, Jerry goes home to his pets, who are Mr. Whiskers the cat and Bosco the dog. The problem is that they're talking to him, and he can hear them and is responding back. Mr. Whiskers has what... Mr. Whiskers has a Scottish accent, and both animals are done by Reynolds. He tells them about being picked for helping to plan this where Bosco is happy for him, much like any dog would be and Mr. Whiskersink said it's stupid. Also on this committee is Fiona who is Archerton who Jerry has a crush on along with John who is Adid Senkar, Dave who is Sam Spruwell and Cheryl, who is Alessa Kordak. Fiona comes back to the meeting room while Jerry is cleaning up and asks a question about the equipment that he'll be using as he's going to be setting up the music for the picnic. And Jerry thinks that he hears her say something about coming up to her department anytime that he would like. The picnic is fun and Jerry comes up later to ask Fiona out. Lisa, who is portrayed by Kendrick, has a crush on him and asks him to join this department as they're all going out for a drink. Now She wants him to take her home afterwards but instead he ends up driving Fiona home. He asks her out on this drive and she reluctantly agrees but ends up blowing him off. As sort of karma here, her car won't start and it's raining out. By happenstance, Jerry is passing by when Fiona needs help. She tries to make it up to him, but then they end up hitting a deer and he kills it by putting it out of his misery with a knife. This scares Fiona, who flees into the woods. He runs after her and accidentally kills her. When he goes home, Mr. Whiskers tells him that what he has to do so he doesn't get in trouble. Now, his therapist is Dr. Warren, who is portrayed by Jackie Weaver, tries to help and to get him to take his medication, but he has to face reality. If he does that, and his reality is much worse than he realizes. Now, if you've listened to me before, you know that horror comedies I can be quite leery of. This one actually works for me. I like how we build the mystery and the story of what is going on here. We subtly get introduced to what Jerry has with his mental issues. He isn't very stable, and despite how normal he looks, he has issues fitting in. And I think that Ryan's ability at comedy plays on that pretty well here. To delve more into this character, we learn through flashbacks and things that he says. His mother was from Germany, and she was given an ultimatum by his father to either stay there or come with him. This caused her to have a mental breakdown to where she was self-harming herself and forced a young Jerry to do something pretty traumatic. Now that he's out of the hospital and trying to live a more normal life, there's an interesting commentary on medication and something that seems quite real why people sometimes don't take it he doesn't feel like himself he never really had any friends so by taking this medication he would lose the voices he's projecting that are coming from his animals it is kind of heartbreaking to be honest as mental illness is something that we don't fully understand and a lot of people aren't getting the necessary treatment that they need so seeing it play out here is pretty heartbreaking with how lonely he feels and I also feel bad for him that him being socially awkward he doesn't realize that fiona isn't interested in him or that at first lisa is extremely interested in him he does figure this out with lisa and that her being much better for him and it really builds to something in the end that's even more a stronger fall from grace and makes it even more impactful. It seems like I should shift over to talking about the acting. If you couldn't tell, I think that it's pretty strong overall. I thought Reynolds does a great job at being this awkward guy who is good looking and is so messed up from his past. This makes an intriguing look at nature versus nurture. There's a history of mental illness here, so it definitely has the genetics not being in his favor. Going even farther though, there's a traumatic event that happens to him that sends him over the edge. I'm so glad that the choice was made to have him do all of the voices, as he realizes they're all from his head, so it should be a variation of his own voice. The Scottish one though had me losing it, as I'm a big fan of Mr. Whiskers, even though he is a little dick. I thought that Arterton was solid as the English lady that he's in love with, but she's low-key very mean to him, He doesn't realize, though, which makes it even worse. I found Kendrick to be adorable, and I thought she was such a good character here. It really helps to build the impact of everything that plays out as well. I thought that Weaver, Ella Smith, Chet Hottie, and the rest did well for what was needed. And moving to the pacing, which I thought was fine, you don't really see a lot of horror comedies that run as long as this one does. Now, it does come in at 103 minutes, but it really didn't feel like it. There was a point where something happened that I wasn't sure where they were going to go from there and how to continue it on. And I actually liked where it went. I do think it could have been trimmed up a bit. I'm not going to take any points off, though, as I never was bored and I liked, as I said, where it ended up going. The ending credit sequence was quite odd and actually made me happy in a different kind of way if you really think about everything and the implications there i thought the effects were well done the blood looked real as well as the bit of gore that we get there's actually some subtle things that are done here as well the way that jerry sees his life is different when he's on and off his medication i like that we get these glimpses as it makes it feel so much better overall for me There's a bit of CGI when it comes to the animals talking. I don't hate it as it worked. And since we're seeing this from the mind of a sick man, I'm more forgiving of it. I would say that the cinematography was solid as well. Now, I ended up really digging this movie. For being a horror comedy, it really explores things which are much deeper than I was expecting. The depth of Jerry was quite interesting to me while looking at his mental illness. Him wanting to fit in and just finding his place is sad with how things turn out. The acting really brought this to life across the board. It does run a bit long, but I was there for the ride for sure. The effects were really good as well, and you know, going more with the practical than the CGI, but I didn't have any issues with either. I thought that it was shot well overall, and the soundtrack, even though it wasn't my favorite, it does fit the tone for this movie. My rating here was that this is good, for sure, and would recommend giving this a viewing. So I'm coming in after this viewing with an 8 out of 10. And I'm going to do just some brief spoilers here. So if you don't want to hear that, if you haven't seen the movie or if you don't really care, you can just keep going through. If not, I will have it time coded in the show notes so you can skip ahead. And what I was getting at here is that Jerry's mother was from Germany. And when she got brought over here, she really went into a depression because she didn't know anybody and is in a foreign country and everything like that. So what she ends up having is we get a glimpse that she is harming herself as she has scars up and down her arm. Well, she has a mental breakdown, which we also see that Jerry, even at a young age, believed that a sock puppet was talking to him. Well, she forces her son to end her life as for whatever reason she didn't want to kill herself now his doctor reveals that his mother was suffering the same thing as she called the things that were talking to her her angels where at this point jerry is thinking that his animals are talking to him which i do think is adorable as bosco like i said is like any dog that you would see that he's just super happy all the time and is trying to be positive and uplifting where mr whiskers is definitely a jerk and wanting him to do more violent things and even going as far as i know cats will kill things like birds or mice and bring them to their owners and he's trying to claim that mr whiskers here you know finds enjoyment from that. I also find interesting that his mother was calling the things, talking to him as the angels, where we have that the dog, Bosco, is going to be the good angel that would be on his shoulder of his conscience, where... Mr. Whiskers is the evil devil that is telling him what to do. Taking this even farther, the town being called Milton, it didn't click to me until I started recording this, is that is the writer of Paradise Lost. And there's a point in the film where he is talking about that there's only four angels in the Bible that all have names. And he's trying to get Fiona to guess who the one that he doesn't name off is. And it's Lucifer who fell from heaven and ends up you know, becoming Satan. And there's a point where on a drive when he's trying to take her, when she's trying to make it up for him for blowing off the date, that she appears as an angel to him, even though she ends up being quite terrified. Uh, Some other things that I kind of wanted to bring up here is that we do get to see the apartment is how it really is, is. There's a bunch of pizza boxes just stacked up. There's blood all over the place. There's mold. There's animal feces and you know hairballs all over the place but when he's off his medication he sees everything as being pristine and clean when he chops up Fiona he has everything in color-coded Tupperware and has them in a specific order and everything like that which I thought is something that is just amazing that when he's off his medication he thinks everything is grand so when he's on it has to actually face reality life isn't what he thinks so it's almost better for him to be off of it from his point of view even though he can't control himself and starts to kill people i did see some trivia as well that in the conga line that are they're doing at the picnic is the women are in the order that they get murdered as he ends up killing three of them and takes his psychiatrist hostage as well and those are really just things that i really just wanted to kind of go over here as this is kind of an intriguing little slasher but what i'm going to do now is send you over to the trailer for the second of my reviews for this episode
1: Have you ever been a nanny? This is my first live-in job. Well, I hope you know what you're doing. The children are very special, Kate. They're thoroughbreds.
2: Geez, your friends must love it here. I have no friends. You have no friends? Yep. Well, you have one now. (laughs) Maybe.
1: how the parents died <gasps> miles nothing should have to suffer it's not that simple
2: i don't go in that part of the house why not don't wanna
1: hello should be in here
2: what happened to your last nanny like i'd tell you need to take charge here kate
1: i know what you're afraid of keeping the lights on won't keep you safe can you please stop you're gonna
2: leave me aren't you i'm not going anywhere promise promise cross my heart and hope to die <gasps> Everyone dies, Miles. Did you see them? I don't want to play anymore. Hey! Why are you doing this? Stop now. We're not safe! Stop giving tales. Bad dreams?
0: And for my second featured review here is going to be The Turning from this year. This is directed by Fleora Sigismode. It is written by Carrie W. Hayes and Chad Hayes and is from the novel from Henry James. This stars Mackenzie Davis, Finn Wolfhard, and Brooklyn Prince. This is a drama horror mystery and this is a co-production from the United Kingdom, Ireland, Canada, and the United States. This is currently sitting on a 3.7 on IMDb and a 1.8 on Letterboxd and then the synopsis here I had to change a little bit from what is on IMDb as I think they're trying to give a synopsis of what the original movie as well as what the novel actually has as that is not necessarily the case that we get here. But the synopsis is a young governess is hired to watch over a young girl and then her older brother in their expansive house where weird things start to happen. Now, this movie I was kind of excited about while also not being excited about. If that sounds weird, let me explain. I've never read the novel that it was based off of, but I did really enjoy one of the earlier versions of this, The Innocents. Even though it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't really watch trailers, but I think I caught this one while watching a movie in the theaters with my girlfriend. And she really wanted to see this, so we end up going together. And anytime that I can get somebody to go see a horror movie with me in the theater, I'm on board for that. Now, we start this off with a young woman trying to flee a large estate. She reaches the gate and leaves her car to open it, and then is attacked by a ragged-looking man, then cuts to an eye before shifting over to our star, who is Kate Mandel, portrayed by Davis, who is in her apartment with her roommate, Rose, played by Kim Addis, I do have to give the movie credit here as we subtly learn that we're in the 1990s through something on the television as they're showing that there's going to be a vigil for Kurt Cobain. As well as the clothing and the technology that is used also indicate to when this is taking place. Kate is giving up her job as a teacher to be a live-in tutor for a rich girl. She was recommended for this position from the school that she works at, but she doesn't necessarily want to give up her classroom, but she can't pass up the money or the chance to make a difference like she thinks she'll be able to teaching at this estate. Even though it makes her roommate sad as they're no longer to be living together. Before she goes, she meets up with her mother, who is Darla, portrayed by Jolie Richardson. She's in a mental hospital and is quite the artist. And to kind of put it plainly, she's definitely mentally disturbed. Now, this young woman goes to this large estate where she meets with Mrs. Gross, portrayed by Barbara Martin. She gets a bit of the lay of the land before heading out to the stables to meet with her new student, who is Flora played by Prince. The two of them hit it off, and she learns quickly that Flora doesn't leave the estate. She does this through an awkward little moment where she's offering to take the young girl to get ice cream before they start their lessons on the next day. But Mrs. Gross shuts that down pretty quickly. And I'm not entirely sure if this is the fear as her parents were tragically killed in a car accident right at the gate, or if there's something more to it as to why she won't leave. The house is quite old and scary. Which, that first night, Kate gets a fright while she's closing Flora's window and thinks she sees something being reflected. She's then drawn to another room from sounds that it's making. Now, this other room is in the east wing, which Flora states that she never goes over into. And... Kate goes into this room and she's hearing some weird things and just thinks that there is a window that is open. So she closes that and thinks that the sound is just from the wind is blowing the shutters, which is what's causing it. But then she also comes face to face with Miles, who is Wolfhard. He's supposed to be off at boarding school, but has abruptly come home that night. And he's quite rude to her, even though he's the one that startled her. Now, the next morning, they get off to a better start. But then Kate sours when she gets called to the phone to learn that Miles has been expelled from his boarding school for attacking another student. She also tries to teach him some manners as he's refusing to clean up after himself from breakfast. But he's rebuffed by Mrs. Gross, who informs her that these two are thoroughbreds and are privileged and they don't have to do these more mundane tasks. Now things get scary the more that Kate learns about these two children's past, along with her predecessor, Miss Jessel, who is played by Denna Thompson, as well as when she learns more about the former caretaker, Quint, Niall Greg Fulton. Now we do learn, though, that Miles looked up to him. And the question then becomes, is this place haunted with the horrific things that happened here? Or is Kate just looking too deeply and is stressed to the point of where she is breaking down mentally? Now, since I started this off with what excited me about this, I tried to temper my expectations. I knew going in though this wasn't rated very high, and hearing some people stating that they weren't excited, I still try to come in with a blank slate despite knowing this, just to give it the benefit of the doubt and try not to have any you know, preconceived notions. Now, it really does have some built-in clout with the original version of this being regarded so highly, and then trying to do a modern retelling gives it an advantage to me. The first thing that I didn't mind is that we set this in the 1990s. From things that I saw, I'm putting it around the mid-90s, As this is a solid move, as you don't really have to worry about cell phones or anything like that. As it goes on, I kind of lose myself in it. So I'll give it credit there, as it does end up feeling timeless. Now, the setting does create some of that, as the setting is quite old-looking and feeling. But it also becomes problematic for me. This is filmed in Ireland, as they selected a place with character. And I like the place they use. The problem is that Mrs. Gross has a British accent. Davis, who portrays Kate, is from Canada, along with Wolfhard, and Prince is from the United States. And this all boils together that I have no idea where this is supposed to be taking place. I started to assume that with the Vigil for Cobain, I think that this is taking place in the Pacific Northwest, but it doesn't necessarily look like it, and the use of the term governess and this estate doesn't feel like it's in the United States and I think a lot of that is because it wasn't filmed here now I will say it does have that dreary look like it could be in like Washington State or like Oregon but again with some of the other places it kind of just throws me off there and something else I will say that I did like that I wanted to point out here is the one good thing about introducing the mother having mental issues is that this possibly could be running in the family. So I do think that portion of it worked, but there are a lot more things that don't. The big thing here is I don't know what this movie is trying to claim is happening here. We get an interesting scene that Miles comes on to Kate a couple times and there's a line that keeps being used Now, we learn that after the tragic death of his parents, he started to look up to Quint, who was a bad influence. Quint ends up dying, so I was wondering if maybe Miles might be being possessed by him? Which would explain some of the actions that he's having. This doesn't go anywhere, so it just seems like Miles learned to do some horrible things at an impressionable age. And then we have Kate, who's being haunted by the specter of Miss Jessel. So there's the idea that she needs to solve what is happening, but that goes nowhere either. I was wondering why We got to meet the mother, which it does end up playing back a bit in the end. And I do also understand that what I said earlier that it's establishing that there is a history of mental illness but the problem is you could have done that without necessarily showing the actress as well i just don't really have any idea of what they're trying to say here being that it has a you know normal runtime of about 90 minutes or so it doesn't really outstay its welcome i just don't know if they knew where they wanted this to go or if they even knew what the explanation is i do like open-ended movies that make me think I just think you need to have some kind of direction, or the director at least has to know. Leaving some things open for interpretation is good, this falls flat here, and the ending doesn't really make any sense to me. And I'm not the only one that actually kind of thinks that, as when I went to social media after the fact, I've seen a lot of people agreeing with me. So, you know, when you kind of see, you know, that type of validation there, it always makes you feel a little bit better about it as well. I would say that I think another viewing is needed, but I don't like it enough to do that unfortunately and i'm not sure if another viewing would even help me clear up this issue as i just don't think it's actually there unless there's like a director's cut that comes out now to the acting i also didn't like davis in this role her performance is awkward which that portion of it is actually really good as she's never done something like this before you know teaching these two children on their own terms while they have such a tough background to work with i think part of what i don't like though is that she's directed to look off in the distance quite a few times and it just comes off as weird i did like her look though as she starts to lose it as she becomes more and more exhausted wolfhard and prince i both were good in my opinion He's getting to that awkward age where he's going to take on more adult roles soon, but he's still a bit young. I would have liked that possession angle as this is an odd time for him, and I think that would fit perfectly there. Prince, I thought, was cute, while also bringing enough creepiness to her role. Martine was good, and I like her as that one who knows all of the past, you know, good and bad, of this family and the estate. Richardson, I thought, was fine in her performance, even though her character really doesn't go anywhere, and I don't necessarily know if it was needed. The rest of the cast is fine in rounding this out, including Thompson and Fulton, to bring some creepiness. As for the effects, if you would ask me coming in, I would say that this would be CGI-heavy and rely on Jump Scare, we do get some of the latter but I would say that it doesn't necessarily rely on them there are some really creepy aspects to this that come from where it's taking place and from them playing a game of flashlight tag there is some CGI with the ghosts that we get here but to be honest I wasn't really that bothered by it the use of mannequins was pretty solid as well overall I would say the cinematography was good and there weren't really any issues there for me now with that said this film had so much potential for me with the source material and by updating it, but it just fell flat. I do get the feel that this could have been an issue of too many cooks in the kitchen, seeing the problems with trying to get this out of development hell. I think that in the end it builds some interesting things as well, but just loses its way in the end. I didn't find it boring, so there was that. It just didn't seem to have an ending. The acting, I would say, overall is positive, but I wasn't the biggest fan of Davis. The effects didn't go where i thought they would which i'm actually glad for that so i definitely thought that was good it is shot well. The soundtrack I thought was fitting for what was needed, and I didn't have any issues there. Music actually does well in establishing the era that this is taking place, so I have to give credit. My rating here, though, is just below average, though, due to the problems that I had. So my rating is going to be a 4.5 out of 10. And since I kind of delved into all of the issues that I had, and the movie doesn't go far enough in anything for me to delve into a spoiler section, I'm not going to have that. So I'm going to go ahead and do now is move you over to one last musical break before i close out the show
1: i'm so happy cuz today from my friends You're in my head i'm so ugly that's okay cuz so are you we are going
0: I want to thank you for listening to episode 13 of journey with a cinephile a horror movie podcast to close out the show if you want to get in touch with me you can send me an email at journey at gmail.com any of the reviews that you've listened to on here if you want to read the written review you can do that at horrorreview.webnode.com facebook you can find me at david michigan garrett jr twitter i'm buckeye from mish Letterboxd, I'm davidosu. On Instagram, I'm davidosu87. Flickchat, the join code is Journey with cinephile, and that is a separate app that used for message boards so we can communicate back and forth if you want to over on that. And the last thing I would just ask you if you could, Whatever platform you're listening to this on, if there's the option to rate or review, if you could please do that, I would just appreciate the feedback just to know kind of what I'm doing that you don't like or what I'm or what I could be doing that you would like to see more of. So that would be, once again, greatly appreciated. Now for my next episode, I know the 2020 release that I'm going to watch is the new version from Oz Perkins of Gretel and Hansel. And then what I'm going to do is shift over to since February is also Black History Month, I'm going to watch and review is going to be Ganja and Hess. I want to thank you once again for listening. And as always, this is David Garrett Jr. signing off.